Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. Uh, David, uh, another in our series of conversations regarding the mining industry, a very uh, good inf- informational uh, conversation with Ed Morality, who is the executive director of, the, of Mining Newfoundland Labrador. And, and you know, Newfoundland is really a powerhouse when it comes to mining. <clears throat> In fact, mining is worth uh, about 8% or 9% of their GDP. Um, you know, it creates between six and 8,000 uh, year-round jobs for the industry, which are well-paying, uh, averaging $100,000 a year or more, uh, and growing with lots of opportunity based on the conversation that we had with Ed. Yeah, absolutely. I I absolutely love the mining sector. I've I've told you this before. It's a good old-fashioned sector deploying hundreds of millions of dollars, lots of big machines, lots of burly men and hopefully burly women uh, working in the mine. You're working these big machines and and creating real value and and products that are needed to fuel a global economy. I have have, uh, a lot of respect for the mining sector, and it's great to hear what's going on in Newfoundland and Labrador something like 500 new applications last year for mining exploration, 180 to 200 million invested in exploration alone in the province. So I think the, you know, the future is real bright. I, I do get a little nervous about the timing of this. And I think from our interviews with other mining players, it does seem to me like the sense of urgency has gone way up, but the, the timing doesn't seem to be changing much, right? And I think that's kind of, how are we going to hit 2035 completely electrified uh, transportation system, you know, without a dramatic increase in the minerals needed to produce those batteries. So I think there's a lot of uh, confusion sort of downstream about about this issue. And I think, uh, but we got a lot of clarity around what's going on right now in, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, you know, we've, we've uh, found out from uh, other discussions um, that uh, it's going to need six times the amount of critical minerals to, to be able to produce EVs and solar panels and wind turbines, which means many, many more mines. And, and also an important factor that we didn't get a chance to talk to you with that is, you know, uh, security of supply. A lot of those critical minerals come out of China right now. You know, China is not the West's friend and, and that's, not a, that's not a secure uh, channel at the moment so we need to be open to more mining in canada more mining in atlantic canada where there's a lot of resistance as you know to resource development everywhere despite the fact that you know we have huge swaths of our region that are unpopulated (laughs) and 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 open for a discovery and and the one thing that i that i got out of that conversation that i didn't realize is the cooperation that is happening at least among uh, three of the four provinces, because there's not much mining in PEI, but New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland and Labrador are collaborating together on a bunch of initiatives, including presenting together at the Prospectors and uh, Developers Association conference uh, next week, uh, where they're going to have a full day promoting more than 30 um, mining opportunities in our region. I, I think that's outstanding. That really is good news. That is good news. And Newfoundland and Labrador in particular needs this sector. Um, It's very, very reliant on offshore oil and gas. And who knows how long that sector is going to last. Optimistically, it's going to last for several decades. 
Uh, but what they're talking, what Ed's talking about here is a hundred year plus industry, right? In terms of mining these important minerals. So this is a really important way for the province to diversify away from its, uh, uh, you know, 25% of the GDP is from oil and gas. And so getting more of these minerals mined will help diversify the economy. And, and uh, I think he told us about 180 million in royalties last year. So not a bad source of revenue uh, for a relatively small province too. Well, that's right. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to note, because I think this is important, uh, it, it was mentioned uh, in our conversation uh, with the Nova Scotia Mining Association as well, is that there's a real interest in providing data for companies who are looking uh, to explore for minerals. And the best way to do that is to do geophysical mapping, uh, uh, aerial mapping, basically, uh, of the provinces uh, in our region. Uh, so there's interest, obviously, in Newfoundland doing that. that, that would, that's a really important thing uh, for this region to do. And, and by the way, they did this for the offshore in Nova Scotia, did extensive geophysical uh, mapping to show the highest opportunities for exploration, which is, you know, doing some of the work for the uh, mining or the oil companies and the mining companies, obviously, but it will also attract more likely people interested when they see where the opportunities actually exist. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of having that kind of the data available um, uh, for companies who are looking to invest in our region. Absolutely. I mean, it's my understanding the last time that kind of comprehensive view was done in New Brunswick was the the 1950s. So yes, that is, you know, to tell the story of the geology of your province should be a public, publicly funded effort. And I think we need to invest absolutely in that early stage geophysical or geoscience work, and then serve it up on a tray to those junior ex exploration companies to get out there and actually find the, find the actual minerals. But uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and if I recall uh, correctly, I think the, the cost to do it in Nova Scotia was something like $12 million, which in the scope of things is not a lot of money when you can amortize it over many, many years. And, and like I, I would encourage the, the provinces to take a close look at that. So a very interesting conversation. You know, min, uh, uh, mining is, a, is an increasingly important part of our future if we're going to achieve net zero by 2050. Can't do it without mining. Uh, people need to recognize that we need to be a little bit more open as a society to, uh, you know, uh, exploit the uh, natural resources that we have. And uh, as we also found out previously, the mining industry is very different from where it used to be. Right, David? You know, there's all kinds of uh, plans in place to make sure it's done environmentally properly. And also they have to establish bonds with money in it to remediate the uh, areas once it's complete. So it's a very different industry. Hopefully people get to be a little bit more open-minded and accepting of uh, looking for stuff in our region. <laughs> so with that introduction, here's our conversation with Ed Moriarty, the Executive Director of Mining NL. We are pleased to welcome Ed Moriarty, the Executive Director of Mining NL, uh, to the Insights Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Thank you very much, Don. It's a pleasure to be here today with yourself and David. Thanks for joining us. We'd like to start by finding a little bit more about your background. Can you tell us uh, quickly about your path, your career path, and how you ended up in your present role with Mining uh, NL? Well, certainly I'm a graduate of Memorial uh, University, political science and history. So I've always had an interest <laughs> in, uh, in public policy and uh, and uh, 
and economic development. Uh, earlier career opportunities were in uh, organized labor, actually, with uh, uh, doing construction-related uh, training and development work during the Hibernia period here in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I've done a fair bit of work in terms of apprenticeship work uh, in Ontario, Alberta, and uh, Newfoundland in respect to the construction craft uh, trades uh, in, in respect to uh, that type of industry. And so out of that, I've metered about. I've, I've My last career before uh, coming into this role was uh, uh, communications and public relations with uh, the provincial government of Newfoundland and Labrador. I served as a director of communications and policy um, advisor for several uh, departments throughout a tenure, probably eight, nine years. And in 2020, what, what year was it? 2013, I, uh, I joined Mining Industry Newfoundland and Labrador as their executive director and been happily here ever since. And uh, uh, I guess our association, um, uh, you know, has been experiencing some growth uh, relative to our industry as well. It's uh, it's growing and we are as well. We stand at around 90 members, uh, representative of everyone from uh, really the uh, early stage explorers through to uh, project developers, operating uh, owners, owners of owner operators of mines here in the province and uh, and our supply and service uh, support community. Uh, that exists uh, to uh, service the industry. So uh, good membership base, nice diverse base of companies and uh, our association is the not-for-profit business association. You know, we have a volunteer board uh, comprised of individuals from our sector and, you know, our role in terms of business uh, development and our three lines of business really is the way I put it is uh, uh, advocacy and government relations work, certainly, uh, you know, working with our government partners in the federal and provincial levels, primarily province, though, uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that uh, uh, our views, our members' views are understood in respect to any regulatory or policy framework issues that may be arising or engagement on consultation efforts that government might have, you know, the full gamut of, of engagement that you would normally expect. And, and as well, on a more, um, you know, uh, proactive side of things, uh, you know, we're an active partner with both the provincial and federal governments when it comes to trade investment and promotion work for the sector. So we do a fair bit of work in terms of trade and investment attraction and promotion, be it shows or other activities that we might be involved in. And uh, the third line really is public outreach and, uh, and communications and, and ensuring that uh, the various stakeholders that we have uh, identified from community and individual uh, communities to uh, to larger uh, uh, organizations that we might deal with nationally or internationally, that we have uh, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador's uh, perspective uh, shared and uh, brought forth. So, you know, it's a small staff. There's myself and two other individuals uh, that help support this role. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, organization that's uh, uh, been around for a while, probably about 20 years in one matter, shape, or form, and maybe earlier than that uh, in, a, in another iteration, but uh, certainly is uh, called upon both for uh, commentary in the public and certainly from the point of view of engagement with government and, uh, and pro policy and program development in terms of economic activities that we may be able to support and, uh, and encourage. So that's our kind of framework, if you wish, uh, for our organization. Thanks for that. Um, 
Mining in Newfoundland and Labrador plays a bigger role in the provincial economy than elsewhere in Atlantic Canada. Can you give us a sense of how big the industry is in terms of its economic impact, jobs, uh, and so on? And I'd also like to know how much of the industry is in Labrador versus versus uh, Newfoundland itself? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, now, sector-wise, we're probably the fifth largest uh, jurisdiction in the country in terms of the overall supply or, or uh, sorry, the mineral shipments uh, that are associated with the province, probably around five and a half billion this past year. Generates probably employment in the range of probably six to 8,000 people, depending on the year it's counted. That includes some construction or development opportunities, but also the core uh, uh, population that's associated in terms of the workforce. Um, you know, it's uh, exploration wise, if you look at it from uh, the mining cycle perspective, last year we had over uh, 500 new uh, mineral exploration. Uh, applications come through the province. That's a record. We have a record amount of exploration capital being spent uh, right now, somewhere in the range of $180, $200 million. I fully expect that that will uh, further increase given the amount of uh, announcements that various companies have made in terms of commitments to capital expenditures in the region of exploration. On the mine development side of things, you know, we have active uh, new developments in gold, particularly in our central western part of the island, with uh, Marathon Gold, for example, uh, they've uh, broken ground and expect uh, to see first uh, first gold by first quarter of 2025. So there's activity happening at the early stage in the development stage. And of course, our larger miners too, uh, you know, our industry is uh, primarily driven by iron ore, nickel, copper, cobalt as our primary, uh, you know, export po- uh, projects. And uh, the iron ore side of it is certainly tied to Labrador West and the Labrador Trough, and we share a border with Quebec, and we share geology with Quebec, and infrastructure as well, of course, uh, the rail line and the linkages there in the port in Satil, uh, Port Noir, that we have um, opportunities to uh, build a collaborative approach there on the West Coast or in the western part of our province. So the iron ore uh, space is certainly the majority of the um, of the industry in terms of the overall quantum of volume. But uh, if you look at some of the stats that have been released uh, in recent years, you will see that the diversity in the balance, you know, nickel is probably, you know, we're probably uh, second in iron ore, probably second in nickel, third in copper in terms of the country, right? So, uh, you know, we're a significant player, uh, you know, in terms of that. And, uh, you know, GDP wise, it's probably about eight or 9% of our economy. So that'd be my rough sketch of it but uh, you know certainly there is uh, there's a lot more detail in it once you get into the uh, particular projects that may be associated with it Ed, one of the things we'd like to find out is how important uh, the mining is to government in terms of revenues and uh, i wonder if you have some idea about the amount of royalties that the government of newfoundland uh, uh, get from mining well, I, I can. I was looking, thinking about that question this morning, and uh, I went back to a few of the estimates uh, uh, for the various uh, past couple of budgets, say the provincial government budgets, where it's notarized. And uh, you know, in nineteen, or sorry, in twenty twenty, we were at about ninety eight million in terms of all the derived taxation revenues. 
Uh, that was 156 million then in 2021, and it's uh, forecasted, you know, in the estimates uh, for uh, April of this past year, it was forecasted around 180 million dollars in terms of uh, revenue. So, a lot of growth due to, you know, just the improvements probably in the overall price of commodities that uh, as they reach market, and as well in terms of uh, the output. Right, so uh, we're seeing uh, we're seeing growth in that respect, but you know it has flare varied, you know, and it's probably been I could probably not reach back too far and find probably seventy million as well, right? In terms right. of you know, so but uh, if you look at the last couple of years, you can see that trend is upward and uh, quite positive, and we fully expect that uh, given what's underneath it, uh, you know, between the iron ore and the valleys, uh, certainly the Voices project, uh, there's a lot of fundamentals there going to keep pushing that uh, that forward, and so it's a significant contributor to the provincial economy. Certainly, probably not as big as uh, in oil and gas as it has been known, but certainly. Uh, quite significant in terms of uh, the overall uh, uh, benefit. And the beauty of our sector is, too, that it's, uh, you know, it's fairly employment intensive, right? So you have uh, a lot of local uh, community work and jobs that are being circulated in regional economies or parts of the province that uh, you probably wouldn't see as much with, uh, with, say, some other types of development, which are less uh, labor intensive or probably more, uh, you know, or uh, capital intensive, if you wish, in terms of the uh, uh, the way that they're structured. So uh, it's a, contrib- a significant contributor, and I fully suspect, given where the province's attentions are, uh, based on our knowledge, you know, we've gone through a couple of years now of, of some uh, you know strategic planning, if you wish, with the province. They've had a, a program called Mining the Future 2030, which has been a kind of a set of guideposts and. Uh, that were put in place to uh, start laying down some markers and start thinking about ways and means that we can improve the sector. Uh, you know, there's an active consultation there this past fall on looking at the Mining Act and Minerals Act and figuring out, you know, ways to modernize and make sure that that act is certainly in alignment with, uh, uh, you know, other jurisdictions in terms of its competitiveness, as if you look at it from a legislative point of view or regulatory point of view, but also in terms of, uh, you know, it's a, uh, uh, engagement with other types of legislation that might be in place in the province so that there's alignment and uh, and uh, we've got some activities that would support that. So there's a bit of engagement in terms of the piece as well as, uh, I think, uh, some pro- very positive outlooks in terms of the pronouncements of the provincial government. And, uh, you know, I find them an effective partner to work with in respect to uh, the sector. And particularly when we look at critical strategic minerals and where that... Um, opportunity, which is so fundamentally different than what we faced over the last couple of years in terms of uh, brand new, uh, you know, uh, you know, if you think of it, a new basement of demand really for uh, for minerals and, um, and metal products uh, to support the uh, uh, transition to a lower zero carbon, net zero carbon economy and, and all the infrastructural changes that would come with that. So it's definitely... Uh, we're at the cusp of a great opportunity, I think, both worldwide and here in a province that's uh, so well endowed with uh, with uh, a solid uh, geology uh, and mineral base. And I think uh, really the undiscovered country, but uh, in a way also, uh, you know, uh, I think with some effort, certainly we can open up a, a lot more opportunities in terms of like I say, the critical mineral, strategic mineral space. 
You mentioned that the you know the industry is very labor intensive. Um, these are also reasonably high paying jobs. Do you have any um, statistics about what the average salary might be for somebody working in the mining industry in Newfoundland and Labrador? Yeah, it's around two thousand bucks a week, right? So uh, that would mm. be a little bit higher than the average wage in Newfoundland, which might be probably I don't know a thousand twelve hundred, uh, depending on the stat that you might look at. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the labor force, you know, it varies, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, depending on the projects and the requirements. So, you know, direct labor versus contracted labor to sure. help do shutdowns and uh, refits and the like. And, you know, so it does have a seasonality to it as well. But unemployment is very low in the sector overall right across the country because the skill sets are in demand uh, mm-hmm. uh, and companies are really, you know, facing that demographic uh, challenge in terms of, we encourage people that have the skill sets that we require, which have other choices as well. If it's a technical skill, they could be certainly in construction or they could be in municipal uh, development infrastructure. They could be in manufacturing. So attractiveness of the industry uh, and the importance of having, uh, you know, skilled labor and replacement of the labor that we have. I mean, the demographics, our industry, like any other, others, are, folks are getting a bit older. So we need to recruit in and, you know, both from our own population, but also through other means like uh, immigration might be a source of, uh, of, of new labor, uh, uh, certainly uh, from the point of view of uh, under, underrepresented groups. Uh, you know, certainly uh, we need to do more work uh, to support uh, the involvement of women and Indigenous folks in, the, in our sector. And others with uh, with a recognized uh, non-historical attachment that might benefit from knowing more about what we're about. So, I, I think there's the beauty I find with this industry too in Canada is that uh, there's a lot of uh, cross-jurisdictional uh, uh, cooperation, if you wish. You know, mm-hmm. we have we have national associations such as the Mining Association of Canada, uh, the Prospectors the Developers Association of Canada. But we also have organizations like the Mining Industry HR Council, which are tasked with, uh, you know, doing uh, research, development work and studies around labor market issues and skills and skill acquisition, uh, certification, recognition of skills. So we as a small association really want to work with those type of partners to make sure that uh, we can uh, benefit from those type of standardizations that they may be trying to pursue. That makes sense for our members here, which would probably share uh, similar uh, interests to members of other associations, be it in Ontario, BC, or what have you. So that collective uh, ability to uh, organize around, uh, um, you know, skills and labor market issues, I think it's going to be critically important going forward. Uh, having a better handle on uh, skilled labor via immigration routes and be it, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, what's the program that's uh, in Atlantic Canada, Atlantic Immigration Program, I believe it's called. Uh, yeah. For, you know, so we, like others, are trying to understand how these tools and, and, and approaches can help uh, benefit our industry. And from that perspective, I think uh, we're going to keep an active eye to it. As an association, for example, we just struck a, a small ad hoc working committee to look at skills and uh, and labor uh, related challenges in terms of uh, you know um, 
programming that could be possible through colleges or uh, universities or through uh, uh, on-site apprenticeship, that type of thing. So, you know, we we need to be active and engaged ourselves, but I think as well benefit from uh, the programming and services that's already in place that, uh, you know, are more prevalent, say, in Ontario or Quebec than they are here. So let's, let's work it out and figure out how we can uh, best... Uh, uh, you know, put the Atlantic advantage forward, right? Yeah, we're going to come to a couple of questions on this particular topic shortly. But I wanted to ask you: there are some you have some very large mining operations in Newfoundland, Labrador, including Vale's uh, Boise Bay operation, and obviously the iron ore uh, company um, of Canada is a, a big player as well. But can you just give us kind of an overview of the kind of main minerals? that are currently being mined in, in Newfoundland and um, in Labrador? Yeah, certainly. The uh, primary sector uh, of support uh, or sectors that were vaulted in terms of the mining space is uh, iron ore, nickel, copper, cobalt. Uh, gold, uh, we have had active gold production up to uh, just a little while ago, and now we'll have a new uh, gold mine uh, that's in development with Marathon Gold and Central so there's uh, more gold to happen, let's say. And certainly from the exploration lens, uh, we've seen a lot of investment in central Newfoundland uh, uh, relative to gold exploration. But in, interestingly enough with that, there's also, uh, you know, uh, associated uh, fines for other critical minerals like antimony, for example, so an indicator metal uh, with, uh, with respect to uh, uh, gold showing. So we're seeing that occur. We've had, and up to recently, an antimony mine active in, in the province. Uh, Prophylite limestone uh, um, are produced uh, at in the province. Uh, we have rare earths opportunities uh, on the horizon uh, in southern Labrador. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly from the point of view of uh, the overall picture, it's, it's really iron ore and copper, nickel, and uh, cobalt that uh, really account for the majority of, of our shipments. So I wanted to come back and ask you Ed, a little bit about the labor situation, just picking up on that theme. Um, can you tell us a little more about what the industry is doing to address labor shortages? Are you working with First Nations on Indigenous workforce opportunities, uh, immigration? Um, and is your association sort of auditing that or are you doing anything directly as an association to work with your members on that issue or is it mostly the HR council working on that? Uh, I, I guess the way I could best describe it over the last five to six years, uh, I, you know, various tables who I've been invited into uh, by at a, either at a company level where they're looking at individual activities that they can do to better improve their workforce uh, forecasting and uh, meeting their requirements or more collectively, the College of North Atlantic uh, gathering a group together to uh, look at programming options and what the industry might need. We've participated in that since. Uh, you mentioned Mir, I did as well, uh, in terms of the bigger picture uh, and, and providing uh, some labor standards or, or labor market information. We participated in a project that they did probably about four years ago uh, here relative to, uh, to the province. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a small organization, sometimes we can't necessarily take the lead on this, but we can become the connector, if you wish, the facilitator of that, of those connections and, and to work on ways of being. So the subcommittee that we've struck to kind of 
look at it from a, a company to company level and, and probably build out some planning around it in terms of, uh, you know, engage with the college system or the university here in the province or elsewhere. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that work that's going to unfold over the next six or eight months. And we'll see what uh, what we may uh, may come up with in terms of some recommendations. But clearly, overall, the industry and our association recognize the need to invest in people and finding uh, programming that's relevant. Uh, you know, if it's a younger person entering, uh, you know, an occupational trade, you know, is there enough mining related knowledge shared through that programming uh, effort? If it's a new technology that's been brought in, uh, it does, does the uh, it, are we better served using a college system or a combination of college and uh, and on-site training? Uh, you know, uh, companies invested uh, in the past in simulator training up in Labrador West, or sorry, in Happy Valley Goose Bay, we have a, a simulator uh, put in place uh, through Valley's uh, contributions and through their work. Uh, which has been phenomenal in terms of Indigenous employment, by the way, and uh, and the engagement of folks in terms of as they make that transition from, let's say, a surface mine to a underground mine, uh, you know, it's a different skill set requirement, right? So companies have to make those transitions. And when you have a dedicated community uh, uh, of people that you've worked with up to that point, you've got to help and facilitate to your own interests and theirs uh, that, that change. So there's always changing Dynamics, automation, resort, uh, sorry, remote sensing, uh, remote operations, I should say. It's another approach uh, to help in terms of labor, you know, maybe able to find the people in a more centralized location as opposed to right on the mine site. But that benefit of, uh, of access, that skill uh, facilitated through technology might mean that uh, you will, uh, uh, you know, uh, be able to succeed uh uh, without um, necessarily different people. So it's a combination of things. And uh, I started off my career in skills and development, and I tell you, there's no easy answers in that regard. You know, it's, uh, you know, finding, uh, you know, the right side, one size fits all, it's never going to happen. So I think a combination of, of having uh, agencies and institutions understand the value of the sector and how it can... Uh, uh, be a part of their uh, training process, if you want, in terms of their mandate to the province. Uh, I think that's very important. And so that's part of the role we do. We bring that information to them. Uh, you know, our members are asking for things. We will advocate and support that and see what we can do to find uh, uh, avenues of growth, of, be it funding support or uh, programming areas that they can tackle, tackle into. So it's, it is, it's important. Uh, and probably from my perspective, will become increasingly more important as we uh, go in the next two to three years as we uh, see the industry broaden. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a scope, if you wish, to uh, be more in demand right across the country and around the world. So we're going to be competing with the same people, maybe. So we need to, we need to put a good angle on it. Ed, before I turn it back to to Don, I wanted to ask you a little bit about infrastructure. One of the barriers to the development of the Ring of Fire in northern Ontario is the billions of dollars in road and rail and other infrastructure needed. Um, you mentioned earlier that the Labrador developments have access to rail and ports uh, reasonably close. What about in the Newfoundland developments? And are there similar? Is there similar infrastructure in place, or is it going to cost a considerable amount of money to build out? The infrastructure needed to develop these mines. Uh, I think uh, 
when we look at La let's look at Labrador first uh, from the perspective of uh, the Labrador trough. You know, the, you know, we're benefiting from you know 50 years of investment in infrastructure, the rail system, uh, you know, the towns, the communities, structure, uh, the port facility. Uh, about five years ago, I think Cedil had underwent a uh, a large expansion with a number of the companies in the re region contributing as well as the federal and uh, government, the Quebec government as well, uh, supporting it. So that provided, for example, access to Cape size vessels uh, that are larger in capacity and more efficient, if, if you wish, in terms of uh, uh, their servicing of various overseas markets. On, in Newfoundland itself, uh, on the island, when I say Newfoundland, the island, uh, uh, a lot of our mines are within our close to tidewater or ports. Uh, you know, you look at Stephenville where Atlantic Minerals operates, you know, that we have a port facility there. Uh, we have underused port facilities like Botwood. Uh, we have, some of the companies have established their own uh, loading facilities, uh, uh, you know, their own port facilities uh, close to, uh, to their operations or they utilize uh, others. So. Our electricity situation in Newfoundland is pretty solid in terms of, uh, uh, you know, access to power and, uh, and grid power. That's less so the case in Labrador if you look at more remote uh, locations, right? So, you know, maybe the build-out should be in northern infrastructure. I think the real benefit is uh, in Labrador where we need to invest in, in, in terms of infrastructure. Broadening out beyond the Labrador trough, uh, looking at the north coast, uh, you know, and there's some work I understand uh, being looked at in terms of exploring the possibility of road line of a, of a road uh, to the north and up to the northern coast. There's some work on that that's being done, uh, undertaken. Uh, you know, communities on diesel, you know, there's some work being done with Valley to look at integration of, uh, of wind power into, uh, into their operations. So th these are innovations that might be a little bit different. Uh, but more site-specific to their needs. But on the island itself, I think uh, uh, road access, pretty short, you know, uh, port access is there, uh, ready, ready, willing, and able workforce, uh, and, uh, you know, other parts of the infrastructure too. I mean, you know, you look at uh, what's, what's the advantage of investing in, a, in Canada when it comes to uh, mining, really you're investing in, uh, you know, good legal system, transparent laws, you know, you understand what you're going to get into. Uh, low corruption or no corruption is critical, right? Uh, you know, having uh, access to a college and university system that can support training, development, and research and development as well. Uh, we've seen some support in that area that's uh, it really showing up in terms of our work. So soft infrastructure as well as hard infrastructure, social infrastructure in terms of, you know, the, the regular supports that you would provide to have good schools and communities, uh, access to healthcare, all that's important to attract and retain people uh, to local uh, local areas, right? So I think we're in good shape that regard. We certainly got more work to do in terms of uh, Labrador. I'd certainly like to see a little bit more uh, focus on Northern and some of our partners such as Mac uh, have really placed an emphasis on that focus. Uh, you know, so you mentioned Ring of Fire, uh, you know, I think that's an example where it's been constrained uh, by an infrastructure need, amongst other things. And uh, I think in, in our case, uh, I don't think we have those same constraints. We have an opportunity to look at how do we, uh, you know, build out from what we have, right? And the rail system in Lab West that's uh, unique to our 
our industry for iron ore, uh, uh, but most of it is uh, uh, definitely going to be tied back to, uh, uh, you know, we're looking at putting more money into infrastructure. I've been thinking about how would we explore Labrador a bit more succinctly, right? What do we need um, to support uh, uh, a mining camp, exploration camp in, in the central mineral belt? Right, you know, maybe there's ways that we can go about that and partner with others, you know, indigenous communities to help uh, identify ways to do that properly and, and do it in a way that uh, uh, helps uh, helps understand the geology a little bit better too. Right, so it's a bit of everything, but I, I wouldn't dismiss uh, any more investments in infrastructure. I think uh, it's uh, definitely going to be a part of the uh, the longer term picture in terms of how the country overall thinks about its role in this. Uh, this industry, because you know, frankly, I think we're in a industrial policy change uh, in the world, right? And you know, it's you know, you look back to the last couple of times, you know, in the country where we had that large transitions, St. Lawrence Seaway, or uh, you know, when we had the railway back in eighteen nineties, two thousand, you know, uh, we built out uh, uh, mechanisms to help open up the country. Uh, at the time, and now we're building out mechanisms to help open up our geology to the rest of the world. Right, so that's where that's where my support would be to see it happen that way. Uh, <clears throat> I want to jump ahead a little bit. Though. We have a lot of questions to get through, Ed. I want to talk about the approval kernel approval process for a new mine, which is often onerous and takes a long time, almost everywhere. What is the current regulatory environment like in terms of getting a new mine approved in Newfoundland and Labrador? How long it's, does it take? Well, as long as it takes. Uh, um, what's the best way to put it? Well, let's look at Marathon, right? Marathon Gold. Uh, they, were in, they were in exploration. So the system works this way. There's two acts. Uh, the first act really is about the exploration side of things, right? So what you need to have uh, in order to do work on the ground and how do you keep your claims? You can stake claims online uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, as you can in other jurisdictions. You get an exploration approval license. Uh, you look at the, uh, at the ground. You raise your capital. You define or refine your, your, your targets for exploration. If you get an economic resource identified, uh, excuse me, uh, you can apply then for a mining lease and move forward with a development construction phase. So, you know, depending on the amount of, a couple of factors, really the capital needed to get to that point. From a regulatory point of view, I find the uh, the department here very amenable to to our companies. They they understand the, you know, the ability to be efficient and, and to work with them to, uh, to open up uh, uh, the permitting process, get it done as efficiently uh, as possible. Even having said that, though, there's always ways and means to improve, right? So I've always been a firm, firm supporter of, uh, of of trying to have better understandings across departments within government, right? So if, what I mean by that, uh, each department may have its own authority relative to its act, but where's the collective uh, policy framework uh, you know, be it the political will of uh, the government in power or the general approach of the government in power, how do we efficiently uh, build communications across? So from the Environment Department to the Mines Department to uh, Crown Lands, how do these folks, uh, you know, better communicate within government and also communicate with industry? 
because uh, you know we look at the mines department or branches our internal government advocate you know to help us understand how to navigate and, and move through uh, their system uh, but you know I, I they have no authority over you know another department's uh, so let's say intransience to move something along or somebody's inability to understand a process or make an adjustment accordingly. So I think the government could benefit from experiments in probably horizontal policy making where you have various departments that collectively come back to a table to understand, uh, you know, what the, uh, what a particular project might be involved. They've done that in the past in Newfoundland with social policy and, in, you know, particularly in terms of the poverty reduction strategy. It is an approach that you can take uh, for uh, uh, greater uh, continuity within government. So continuity within government itself could be uh, a, a better way to uh, think about improvements of regulatory peace. Uh, in terms of the mine, well, uh, the permitting, you got provincial permitting, you got federal permitting, you got environmental process, assessment process, a lot of these have changed over the last number of years in the sense of uh, the guiding principles. So it's a bit of a, a new area for some companies and others have uh, kind of uh, uh, adopted a, uh, uh, you know, whatever we need or whatever the best practice, we can exceed that and, and approach it that way too, right? So it's uh, it hasn't improved to the degree that, you know, you can snap your fingers and say the mind's going to happen tomorrow. But I, if we can get it down to, you know, reasonable period, two to three years, as opposed to eight or 10 years, that there would be uh, much more beneficial. I, you know, you see in Ontario, they, they've announced uh, just this morning changes to uh, improve their regulatory system so that make make the ability. And Minister Wilkinson has mentioned this federally that, you know, we got to do a better job of uh, on the permitting side because we're going to miss the boat on the opportunity uh, to participate in the critical minerals. So, uh, uh, sea change that we're going to see over the next couple of years. So, uh, yeah, always room for improvement, in my question, but I think as issues crop up and we address them, uh, I think from my personal and professional view here, uh, folks in the mines branch and in provincial government generally, uh, they understand the need to make this uh, more efficient and, and to find ways to do it, right? And in some cases it might mean just simply having the right person assigned to, uh, or having a person assigned to manage uh, a process, permitting process a little bit more efficiently. Maybe there's some uh, opportunities then to improve on a quality control basis inside a government, uh, you know, having transparency, where your permits sit, and who do I talk to to find out where does it sit today, right? Who's, whose hands is it uh, under consideration of, right? So it's complicated, but it's also one of those things I think that uh, at the end of the day can be improved upon. I don't think uh, uh, anybody in the industry would want to see uh, processes eliminated for particular reasons of you know, we need to have in good environmental measures, we need to have good benefits agreements in place with communities uh, so that they understand what they will receive uh, through, uh, through a mineral investment in their area. But I think from the point of view of the regulatory piece, uh, a process of continuous improvement uh, certainly has been tried and, and brought forward as a thinking pattern. So maybe making it a little leaner, as our manufacturing friends would say, uh, might be a uh, always in the best interest, so. Yeah, I noticed that the, the Fraser Institute recently um, did 
did their annual review of jurisdictions, uh, and Newfoundland rank, ranks very high as a jurisdiction to do business in, which is which is always obviously uh, favorable. David, over to you. Ed, just a quick question. You know, we, we're we're talking about this global demand for all these critical minerals, and everybody wants to get this done. We want to have EV, the entire transportation system, electrified by twenty thirty five, and then we're told that it takes five to seven years to get a mine up mm -hmm. and running. How does that square with this demand for all these minerals? Do you ever see a day when it might take, you know, one or two years from from an exploration through to a, a mine up and running? Or is there just too many roadblocks to see any kind of real streamlining in terms of the, the time it gets to get these mines up and running? I think uh, necessity will drive it, uh, you know, as new projects uh, are, are started and brought forward for uh, exploration through to development. That's going to put increased pressure on the regulator to, uh, to be able to be responsive to it. And I don't think anybody would uh, want to be saying in that context, particularly in terms of the EV and uh, the transition to uh, the use of minerals as the basis for electric uh, for our energy base uh, in the in the country in the world, uh, that uh, that that should be uh, undercut because we have a regulatory issue that's in our control. It's totally in our control to manage and, and organize, uh, a, you know. And uh, so I think the challenge then, from a public administration point of view, would be to uh, you know ensure that the alignment of that big picture issue of, uh, you know, that big transition piece that, you know, the big, the big change that we're going to want to see over the next 10 to 15 years. I don't know if that date is uh, realistic, but uh, it certainly looks to me that uh, that's the direction. But finding the minerals in its own right, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, the amount of supply that's necessary in some cases might be uh, tenfold, fiftienfold, twentyfold increase overall in the overall quantity of materials that are arising. So, uh, others, we may face a challenge then of other jurisdictions that are less uh, uh, attentive to their environmental and their uh, community uh, license practices might uh, be quicker, but they mightn't be finding a market for their product at the end of the day, right? So so there is a bit of a balancing piece to the whole, whole side of it, but uh, you're right. I mean, we can't expect eight to 10 years uh, to meet these objectives if we can't get a mine off the ground within, you know, a reasonable period of time. Certainly as Appear norm to our, you know, other jurisdictions in the country and around the world. Our partners or our, you know, competitive peers in Australia, be it or in the United States, which in some cases they face even worse hurdles, right? So, uh, you know, I think we're in a good sweet spot to the point with the Fraser Institute's report. Yeah, that's a survey of uh, from, uh, uh, you know, mining related executives and and their impressions. And uh, generally speaking, we've always been in the top 10, top 20 under that survey, uh, you know, as a jurisdiction worth doing business with. So we're very cognizant of, uh, and when I say we, I mean the collective industry and regulatory we, uh, very cogn cognizant of the need to uh, uh, continually promote ways and means to improve it. But sometimes uh, the, the details get lost in the transition to the end date, right? You know, so you might find that, you know, may change one little requirement that might improve a whole lot of different things. So I think there needs to be a little bit constant, like really it's a constant attention to uh, improvement, right? What do you control? You don't control the price of commodities. You don't control the, you know, world markets for these products, who's buying, who's selling, but you do control, uh, you know, your regulatory framework, 
your policy approach, uh, you know, your labor uh, investment laws, all of this are within our capacity to uh, to use. Uh, and, and as well, both orders of government really have to work together because there is a bit of hand and glove with it too, right, in terms of uh, crossover uh, between provincial and federal jurisdiction vis-a-vis the, their respective acts. So, uh, you know, simplifying it might be important, but I think getting it right and, and consistent, I think, would be also important, right, uh, in terms of the overall mix. Ed, that new uh, federal government uh, mining strategy, the $4 billion fund, the tax credits, do you think that's going to help? Is that is that going to have a serious positive impact on stimulating more mining investment? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was really pleased. One of the things I had advocated for provincially a number of years ago when uh, uh, Dan Green was doing her... Uh, uh, kind of Newfoundland reset report uh, uh, on the economic state the province was in. Uh, one of the areas that I uh, suggested was a was a bit of a, a super flow through share uh, process scheme, if you wish, for the province or Atlantic Canada even to consider. The federal government uh, outlined a third percent tax credit uh, for critical minerals uh, uh, relative to the flow through uh, systems already in place. That's very positive. Uh, they've had initiatives around electrification of vehicles on site, so you can write off the capital costs and loans of a vehicle right up front uh, to encourage adoption of uh, you know heavy industrial equipment to be in an electrified uh, format, if you want. So that'll, that's going to be a positive thing going forward. That $4 billion fund, there's a federal-provincial table uh, that's in place here in Newfoundland, and I think that's in place in other jurisdictions around the country. And the intent there is to negotiate, I guess, an understanding what a particular province would want to do in terms of the critical mineral space. What are your comparative advantages? We have lots. We're already in the critical mineral industry. I mean, uh, you know, Valet selling into uh, into the EV va- uh, value chain or supply chain as we speak, right? So. We, we have other opportunities in rare earths, we have opportunities in uranium, we have opportunities in, uh, in, in further exploration around copper, nickel, cobalt, and base metals. Uh, you know, Newfoundland's been at, at this for 150 years. And, uh, you know, uh, Buckins was, in its heyday, was a, was a critical mineral mine, if you want to think about it, right? You know, it was, you know, it was a base metals mine, and, uh, you know, that is reputationally always relevant in terms of the history of the industry here. People remember the Buckland's uh, heyday, and they know about Voices. They know about Iron Ore. So they kind of got a sense that we're, uh, you know, a very well-positioned, diversified sector, if you want, as well. Uh, and I think there's further work we can do in terms of the critical minerals piece. So I'm, what I'm looking forward to is seeing what that plan is going to be. I know the province wants to do a critical mineral strategy here. Uh, other jurisdictions have. Uh, Quebec released one recently. Ontario did as well. Uh, and I think from our perspective, what are our strengths, right? You know, what are our key strengths? So we already got that history of, uh, of engagement and, and development in terms of this space in some areas. And maybe there's uh, an opportunity in terms of uh, uh, the rare earth side of things that we could, uh, you know, see further along. And I'd like to see uh, opportunities where, you know, we, we make those investments, and if it's a public investment to support a private gain, then they have that public investment in, a, in an area that uh, really does support the bigger picture views in terms of uh, being a strategy or public policy, uh, you know, 
intent of a, of a, of a government. Ed, we're, we're kind of almost out of time. There's a couple of questions that I, I want to just throw in. Uh, it, I know that you're going to be attending the Prospectors and Developers Association Conference next week in Toronto. It's a full day that will profile and highlight the um, mining opportunities across Atlantic Canada. Tell us about that uh, initiative and why it's important. Excuse me. Uh, the Prospector and Development Association Canada uh, annual conference usually attracts twenty-five to thirty-five thousand people uh, every year, uh, drawn from every jurisdiction around the world. So it's a major international uh, mining uh, show. And uh, as an as an association, we've participated for many years at a booth level with our provincial government counterparts. We co locate a booth and uh, and our colleagues there from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick are also there with with uh, with a presence so we you know about I guess four years ago uh, out of the uh, intention of uh, the the four provincial governments and federal government in, under the auspices of the Atlantic growth strategy uh, mining was uh, recognized certainly as a key industry that we want to do further work on in terms of trade investment promotion supplier development uh, and general awareness of opportunity so we struck a small table of uh, folks and said what can we do so one of the one of the areas we thought about was well the promotional side how do we effectively utilize the promotional tables we already have and are participating in to better effect so in 2019 we said okay Let's uh, let's do a do an approach. We do an investor uh, showcase, uh, and I think the first year was probably a half a day, and we had probably ten or fifteen companies that participated early days, but well received, and uh, we continued it. It's been growing ever since, and uh, so next uh, week on Tuesday, uh, we'll have over thirty companies uh, representative. We'll have a session in the morning on gold, uh, and gold related properties, some industrials, and in the afternoon. We're going to be focused on uh, battery metals and critical minerals, uh, showing companies really that have either uh, an advanced 43101 compliant resource as a bare minimum or in pre-feasibility or heading to feasibility in terms of uh, where they're at. So a good range of companies. We've advanced registrations well over 320, I believe, at this point, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. And that there will attract um, audience participation from not just in the country, but investors from around the world that they'll want to see what we have to offer and to build that momentum. So we'll be meeting with other jurisdictions, I'm sure, uh, that also might have an interest in our in our, in our industry and, and opportunities for their investment to come in and, uh, and support it. So PDAC next week is going to be very important. Um, other activities at the time that I know each jurisdiction is having, you know, either a networking or reception of some sort. But uh, we also know that uh, uh, in terms of the science side of things, uh, uh, the College of North Atlantic is putting off a training session on the Monday talking about hyperspectral analysis and, and the beauty of applying new techniques of analysis to, uh, you know, core uh, which is a core product core, you know, as in rock core that we use uh, to understand what's in the ground. And so there's areas of that conference is so big uh, to get enough focus attention uh, for one day, uh, I think is, is hard, but I think we're doing pretty good uh, given, given the advanced numbers. So looking forward to it. And 
happy report back when we finish down and uh, share you some information on that. Yeah, it sounds like a big opportunity for uh, everybody in the mining in- industry across the region. So congrats on that. Uh, you know, we just have a, a sort of one final question that we wanted to get to, and that is, you know, uh, looking ahead, what are the greatest opportunities and maybe the biggest challenges facing the mining industry in Newfoundland and Labrador? Looking ahead, yeah. Well, I think people, uh, timing, uh, you know, investment in geoscience, I think is going to be critical going forward. You know, we need to do more work in terms of uh, uh, airborne surveys, ground bedrock uh, geology mapping, integration of data sets. Uh, just before Christmas, uh, we did an announcement, or the federal and provincial government did an announcement, uh, whereby the Junior Exploration Assistance Program uh, is receiving a, uh, a, basically it would be doubled uh, through a contribution by COA uh, to support uh, uh, that program's investments in critical minerals, right? So, Part of that also was an announcement of money for airborne geophysics uh, and uh, survey work. Uh, there's recently been a paper uh, issued by the Newfoundland Labrador Geological Survey that looks at the uh, application of uh, satellite imagery uh, to supplement ground-based uh, uh, observations and ground truthing. So the geoscience, very early stage stuff, it's got to be part of the program. Uh, and it has to be a part of uh, public investment. I think that's where the best value is oftentimes realized for government in terms of that. And the availability of that data, you know, be it uh, through uh, online means or through conference access and, and conversation, it's very important. On the exploration side of things, uh, you know, direct incentives are part of the, the business and other jurisdictions do it. So I would support having another layer uh, uh, as the recommendation that we made to the Green Report uh, was reflected back to us, which is, uh, you know, a super flow true share at a provincial level uh, to help uh, uh, ensure. And this was before the federal government's critical minerals piece, by the way. And this was uh, a recommendation from 2021 uh, that uh, there be uh, some effort in that area to uh, support. Uh, and because the way the industry is funded, uh, you, know, you know, there's no uh, tax benefit to the individual junior company. So they pass on the tax uh, credit uh, benefit to uh, an investor. So making the sector more attractive in that sense, got to be continued to do it. And greater coordination, I think, with the federal and provincial governments as, as to the bigger picture and how we go forward and, and keeping those type of uh, tables alive. I think that's important too, because get away from the jurisdictional who does what and where, but get together on, on what do we do together and, and focus on that. Keep the investment ch- climate positive, uh, you know, uh, and just transition to, in a sense of, uh, you know, how we uh, help mines uh, uh, modernize their equipment base, right? How do we support access to uh, electrification of vehicles, be it through the tax system or, or through uh, uh, through direct uh, subsidies? I don't know, but uh, uh, getting our own house in order in that respect is also important, I think, and will be a part of the uh, the bigger picture as we head, head ahead uh, to... Uh, uh, to growth, uh, really true to this growth. I think in terms of, uh, you know, the, the bigger picture, you know, what's uh, uh, the social license part of it and our Indigenous communities and how do we build uh, better engagement uh, at that level? I think that's always going to be a part of our, our industry. Uh, and uh, how do we engage our, 
our communities uh, more generally to be, as we start off this conversation, continue to be supportive of, of the work that's happening. And part of that's being good people of citizens on the ground by companies, but it's also part of it is, is the overall reputational um, uh, perspective that you bring, that you collectively bring and recognize their, uh, uh, their engagement. So I'm very positive about it. I've, uh, I gotta say, uh, four or five years ago, you would think that uh, things were going in the other direction, uh, but uh, it certainly has picked up a lot. And I see a lot of groundswell, a lot of positive wind and sails, as they say, to uh, to see this move forward even further. And, you know, our partners in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and even PEI from a supply and services point of view, uh, you know, there's opportunities here to be had. And companies are chomping at the bit to figure out ways. They're dealing with things like AI and bringing in uh, remote sensing opportunities or thought into, or in, be it in safety monitoring. There's companies doing a whole bunch of interesting things here uh, in the region. So we need to highlight that too and, uh, and bring it forward. Well, on that note, Ed, uh, of course, Don and I are very much uh, supportive of interprovincial cooperation within Atlantic Canada. So that's a really good uh, way to end our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Insights Podcast and providing us an overview of the industry. It looks like the future is very, very bright and we'll be monitoring what's going on over there. And maybe we'll check back in with you in a few months to see where everything's at. So thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity today to talk to you. And, and just keep in mind, if it's not grown, it's mined. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a great way to end it. Thanks, Ed. Take care. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.